one of the great blessings of being part of the community, the church, is being family together. The fact is, I love being part of the church. And seeing you this morning, whether you are thrilled to be here with a broad smile on your face, or your husband is totally under your skin, and so not so much, nonetheless, I am thrilled to see you this morning. It brings me joy. There are so many things to love about being our church family that we are. It's just a blessing. We encourage one another. We instill in each other faith. We pray together. We serve one another. We share together. And all of that is good stuff. And I love it. There are so many images in Scripture for what it means to be church. The church is the pillar and foundation or the grounding for the truth. The church is a living temple, holy and built up to God. The church is a body with all of its different facets. But one of the most satisfying and meaningful meaningful images for me, and certainly this morning, is this idea of the church being community, or family, or household. This morning, my son and daughter-in-law are here, along with the smartest four-year-old in the world. And it is, uh, it's wonderful to have them here, but they aren't here all the time. They aren't here for very long now. And so the fact is, is that most of the time, you serve as family for the Carters. It's just a fact. And we miss them dearly when they're not here. The best invention in the history of the world is Skype. Because it allows you to communicate with your grandson when he's 2,000 miles away. Sometimes his parents are there as well, but I don't really take note. It's just great to have him on Skype. But that's the best we can do when they're far away. And so when you're here and they're not, you serve as our family and God designed it exactly that way. So that when I see you on Sunday morning, I'm indeed greatly encouraged. And there's a sense about the relationship that I share with you that can only be described with words like family. And again, that's exactly how God has designed it. And so, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And that's what we are. We are no longer foreigners and strangers. I came here, actually, in 1986 as a foreigner. But we are not foreigners, and we are not strangers. We are fellow citizens together and part of the same household, Paul says. And so, for some of us, this image of family, community, of household is the most meaningful of all images because our church community has contributed so greatly to our lives. And certainly that's the case for me. I've told you before about, um, about what it means for me to be part of the church. When I was 15 years old, already at that point, becoming a Christian, the strongest sense of community and connection I had came from the church of which I was part. And relationships suddenly became incredibly meaningful for me with people that I previously hadn't even known. And so, certainly, I'm not the only one 
who has had this sense of blessing. But for me, it's incredible blessing. And being part of the church community has enriched, encouraged me and so many of the rest of us for so long. And so for, in addition to having Adam and Stephanie here in Easton, we also have uh, Malcolm and Suzanne McMillan and their two kids with us for a few days here. And I think it's interesting that Malcolm and Suzanne can be so close to us. Like, why is it that they want to come and stay at our house? And why is it that we would invite them and want them to be part of our household for a time? It's because of this great relationship that we have. And so I met Malcolm in 1999 or 1998, and for the last 17 years, we've been brothers. And it's only because of Jesus and the church that allows us to have that kind of relationship that is indeed so fulfilling and such a blessing. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so if you were here on Friday night and you got to experience all that those of us who were here got to experience with the, the discussion about Steve's life, the blessing of being able to see photographs, numerous photographs, and his whole life story laid out. And what was at the center of all of that? Well, it was family. And it was, first of all, of course, church or uh, earthly family. And the McMillan family was here to honor that. Steve was here. Steve was named after Steve Pollock. And there were lots of other family members here, but there was so much church family here as well. And so we were blessed by that. We shared in that. We were encouraged by that. That allowed us to not just grieve in some way, but to rejoice together. And it really was a celebration of Steve Pollock's life. And we had the chance to share in all of that because we are a community. Well, our church family gets to do that quite often, the kind of celebrations of community together. Every time we serve one another, some kind of blessing comes into our lives because of that. And this morning, I've asked uh, Carrie Clark if she would come up and share for a moment or two the notion of what it means for us together to be community. Because Jordan and Carrie have experienced that. And so she's going to share. Come on up. Carrie is going to share for a moment about what it means for us to be community together. And indeed, that's what it so much means for us to be community together. So this morning, I want to talk about some things having to do with community because this is indeed so much of what we are, who we are, and what we want to be more of. So I'm going to talk about the source of this community and where it lies I want to talk about the basic identity of this community and then just mention a response that I think is appropriate to the notion of us being community together. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to this passage, please. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. If you're in a pew Bible, it's on page 828. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. These verses simply read, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And and then notice the unity that's called for here by Paul's words. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body 
and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And so there is supposed to be a unity and a oneness within the body of Christ. We come here together this morning as one family, one church family, directly connected to each other by God. There is one Spirit, there is one Lord, Jesus, there is one God and Father of all, and He's the source and unity for us so that together in one family we're one. There's in God Himself an amazing, incomprehensible kind of unity that exists between the three. You think about how closely the Father, the Son, and the Spirit identify with each other, how closely they're knit. And we're supposed to share in that unity. In fact, our unity flows from their unity. There is one body that we share in together because they are one. And God's oneness directly impacts who we are. Look at these words. Turn to John 17. And again, if you're in the Pew Bibles, this is page 766. I don't know if there's another place in Scripture that clarifies so well what the community is that we have together. Jesus himself says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Notice how there is mission here. And a recognition by others because of the unity that we share together. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. And so there's a direct consequence for the church replicating the unity that is present within the Godhead. Do you ever wonder how closely does this notion of Trinity somehow impact our lives? And occasionally someone will say to me, does Trinity really impact our lives? Here it directly impacts our lives. Because the unity of the Father and the Son and the Spirit is to be the kind of unity that we possess. And when we are seen as possessing that kind of unity, something positive, dramatic, and wonderful comes to the world because of who we are in Him. And so, where does our unity come from? It comes directly from God and His nature. I want to talk now about our basic identity. What is this community at its heart? And I would say that more than anything else, our community has to do with love and sacrifice for one another, wanting to be the best for the other. Now just think about that. Our community is such that we want to be the best for another. So I want you to turn to this passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It's on page 831 in the Pew Bibles. And I'll admit that for all of us today, this is a bit of a challenge. Paul lays out something here that is, in many ways, difficult for us to follow and achieve. 
But this is the ideal, I think, for human life. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, and do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain Concede. I could stop right there because all of us right now are thinking, man, no selfishness at all, no vain conceit. Like, just think about all the things that we do in life that are somehow oriented toward ourselves, for ourselves. We do them all the time. And the passage specifically says we need to avoid that. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Absolutely in contrast to how we go about life. Not looking to your own interests, but to each one of you to the interests of others. And I can't think of anything more difficult to do than this, especially in a culture and a society that is so self-focused. You know, if I say these words, if I just say, preference by L'Oreal, which I'm very experienced with, by the way, If I say preference by L'Oreal, there's a good chance that some woman out there, after I said that, said to herself, because I'm worth it. Okay? And that's the line. For 40 years, L'Oreal has been using that line. And so Jane Fonda said that line. Meredith Baxter Burney said that line. Beyonce has said that line. Jennifer Lopez has used that line. Eva Longoria has used that line. They all think they're worth it. And the point is, is that that is so out of touch with the kind of perspective I think that Christ needs for us, wants for us to have. And I'm not saying, by the way, ladies, you shouldn't color your hair. I'm not saying you shouldn't use the best hair color that you can possibly afford to color your hair. You are indeed worth it. But the attitude that says, I'm worth it, I think runs in contrast with the attitude that says, I will look out for the benefit of others before I look for my own. Thinking of me first is not particularly noble. There's something wonderful about having beautiful hair, I'm sure. I can't tell, but I think it's true. But we need to somehow combat within ourselves that desire to focus on me. One of the most famous lines now in football interview history is when Richard Sherman, a couple of years ago, was being interviewed at the end of a football game after he had made the the game-ending kind of play. And he screams into the microphone, you don't mess with the best there is! Well, there are a lot of people who would debate that. Like, he's good, there's no doubt about it. But is Richard Sherman the absolute best cornerback in football right now? Well, there's some people who would dispute that. And I appreciate the fact that he's got some confidence. But that becomes somehow a testimony, I think, to our times. Where whatever happened to athletes just being wonderful athletes, but also being humble at the same time? We just don't experience that or see that the way that we used to see it. 
And so we tend to value ourselves above all others rather than having us value others above ourselves. And I would say that's a problem. And so I would say, maybe especially to those of you who are younger, don't get caught up in this message from the world that says, you're everything. I want you to have a healthy self-esteem. I don't want you to think that you're the epitome of humanity. We need to recognize that there are others that need to be put above ourselves. We need to serve others beyond ourselves. Turn to this passage. It's on page 836 in the Pew Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, Now about brotherly love, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers in Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. And so it strikes me that, first of all, God is the one who teaches us to love one another. He wants this for us. He teaches us that, as I said before, by being this one who has love at his very core in nature. So that the Father, Son, and Spirit love each other right at the center of who they are. That loving existence means that they care in a unifying way about the other in a wonderful, wonderful way and example. There's a power there for us to love one another. But at the end here, after Paul has just commended them for loving each other, what does he say? Love each other more and more. And so we have wonderful things about our church family when it comes to being community and loving one another. Carrie just talked about that. And it is a blessing to be a church that does just those kind of things. Paul would say to us, you guys are so good at that. Do it more and do it more. Keep growing, keep loving, keep being unified. Keep sharing together in the things that you are and progress. On the way up here, Adam and Stephanie and Easton traveled through Yellowstone National Park. I can remember when I was in about grade six or so going to Yellowstone with my family. And one of the things that we got to witness was petrified trees. If you've been to Yellowstone, there are some petrified trees. Maybe you've seen those. A petrified tree is one that it was a tree. It was a living organism. The wood was wood. It has become like stone. It's important that we don't become petrified where we are in terms of our unity and community, but continue to grow more and more and allow that to propagate within us and to flourish and to see progressed the caring and the love so that we don't stop growing, we don't stop living, we don't stop maturing, we don't stop producing. And at some level, I suppose, we all need to ask this morning, am I petrifying or am I growing? So how do we respond this morning to the notion of the community? I would say that there are some trends that we need to buck. First of all, I'd say we need to buck the trend of isolation. There needs to be intentionality about the way in which we work to build community within the body. You know, every Sunday almost, all year long, we stand up and say, 
Be a part of a life group. Join a life group. Build community with one another. And indeed, we need to do that. We need to continue to be part of smaller groups that build community among us. And if we're not doing that, which we should be, at least we need to be serving one another. We need to be looking for those opportunities. Every Sunday in our bulletin, there's a list of prayer requests or reminders, people who need to be prayed for. And a lot of times associated with those requests is something that you can do in order to serve others in the midst of it. Now, I don't know how many people ever take that prayer list home and really do something with it, but I want to encourage you this morning to do so. You know, one of the persons who does that is Imelda. And I've had Imelda call me on the phone and say, Kelly, I've been praying through the list this morning, and I just want to ask this question about this person. I don't really understand exactly what's going on. Can you tell me more? And when Imelda does that, I think, really? You're actually taking this list home and you're looking through it and you're praying for all of these people? Like, way to go, Imelda. I'm so grateful that she's doing that. And, you know, every other Tuesday night, our elders and myself and Dustin, if he happens to be there on that evening, he gets one of those nights off a month. We get together as a group and we go through that entire list and we pray through that list. And so if you ever think to yourself, I wonder once I put my prayer request on that list, if it ever gets treated, if it ever gets prayed for, let me tell you that it does. At the very least, every other Tuesday night, every one of those prayer requests is prayed for. Well, we need to be doing that kind of thing because we are a community and we love each other. And I hope you take seriously that list of prayer requests and you pray through it. And God is going to bless us with community when you do so. By the way, we often uh, remark that we don't know our neighbors the way that we should in this selfish generation. And there's got to be something that you can do in your community to build relationship with them and not just have community relations here. And so I encourage you to look for those opportunities. There's a a couple that lives down the street from me. And just this morning, they're out. It's pouring down rain, the lightning, the thunder and everything. But they always sit down on their porch, even on Sunday mornings. And so I always turn the corner. A lot of times I'll just wave, you know, all week long as they're out there in the mornings, I'll wave at them. They've started doing some walking. And so they walked by our house the other day. I was out working in the yard. And so I stopped. I really met them, said hi to them. We introduced ourselves. So on last week when we were coming to stamp. Uh, stampede breakfast I turned the corner and they were sitting on their porch and I waved at them and then I roll, stopped and rolled down the window I said breakfast is at 8.30 right behind the Marlboro Mall the guy looks at me and says okay I'll be there and he was he was here he came to breakfast last Sunday morning this morning as I drove by I rolled down the window they were sitting out there and I yelled our services are at 10 o'clock see you there rolled the window back up continued to go He's not here. (laughs) Or I wouldn't say that. (laughs) But we need to be looking into our communities for ways in which we can interact with them and bless them with the wonderful community that we have. Recently, there's been a lady. She lives across the back alley from us. For years, she would come into our yard looking for her cats. And so she'd come in the backyard and she'd look for her cats because they've run away. And then she would kind of wave to us and say, I'm just looking for the cats. Well, I found out in the last couple of weeks that her, she is a, um, was an adopted child along with her brother. Neither one of them ever married. 
So they bought a house together, and they've lived for how long ever in this house. But recently, he developed dementia, and she's had to put him in a facility because she can't take care of him anymore, and she's just by herself. And all of a sudden, Gwen has nobody to mow her back lawn. She's got nobody to do any weed eating. And at least as of last Sunday afternoon, she didn't have anybody to take her to her brother's facility where he stays. So all of a sudden, Gwen has become my best friend. (laughs) And she comes to the house now all the time. Kelly, can you mow my lawn? Kelly, can you weed eat my fence? Can you take me to see my brother? What can he do for me? And there's a part of me, I have to admit, I think, ooh, this could be an interesting relationship. Gwen's 73. I'm sometimes wondering where she's at in terms of her mind and her life. But I hope that I can keep serving this lady. And I hope that I can be community for her. And she has no kids and her brother has no kids and she doesn't have a whole lot of family. So maybe we can be just exactly that for her in our community. And I encourage you to look for those opportunities. Because I think the wonderful community that we have together is something that God wants us to share, not just with each other, but with those around us. He has created us for community. And we can buck that trend of isolation. We can buck the trend of self-centeredness and be all that God wants us to be by focusing on others and putting ourselves out there for them. Let's pray together. Lord God, we appreciate the chances we have to be family together. I thank you for the rich fellowship that we enjoy. I thank you for the experiences of love and service, of just building each other up, of being family. Help us, Father, not only to enjoy that together, but to enjoy it with others as well. Help us to expand our reach, to build a bigger family to bring others in, to communicate to them the good news of Jesus. And we thank you so much through your spirit that you're here today building community among us. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.